This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. Royal Bank of Scotland has 17 million customers, and they realized that their customer engagement wasn't the best. Customers were continuing to overdraw their bank accounts. They decided to use artificial intelligence and data to identify these customers. And these are the brands that will thrive in the future that use these technologies to enhance the relationship and find ways to add value to the customer's life. That's the voice of Blake Morgan. She's a customer experience futurist and the author of a new book called More is More. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. And I'm Michael Momsen. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. I'm uh, looking forward to speaking to a CX futurist. So, today we're speaking to Blake about three major topics. Firstly, we ask why customer experience actually matters and we go into some really interesting examples. We also cover customer support and contact centers. And finally, we talk about the future of customer experience and how technology is going to impact how brands engage with their customers. So, we thought a good way to start the show was to get Blake, a customer experience futurist, to define customer experience. Customer experience is the perception the customer has of your brand. And that perception can be shaped by many things. There is a common misconception that customer experience means customer service, and it really doesn't. And I found that out because I came out with my book called More is More, and I was interviewed a lot. And they said, hey, Blake, you wrote this book about customer service, right? And (laughs) I heard this again and again and again. And I realized people have no idea what customer experience actually means. And so it's not simply the transaction. It has to do with who you hire, your company's mission strategy, how you develop your people, how the product is delivered, um, what the transaction is like, what happens after the transaction. It's much broader and deeper than simply customer service. So I think we need to stop and actually define it, that it's the perception the customer has of your brand, and that's shaped by much more than simply the call center or contact center. Mm. Talking about customer experience, what's uh, one of the best customer experiences that you've had recently and why did it knock your socks off? One of the best customer experiences I actually had was giving birth at a hospital where I really felt like the people, the doctors and the nurses just cared more. They didn't have the best technology. It wasn't the Ritz-Carlton of hospitals, but they had this attitude of, we really care about you as a human being. Most companies simply don't care about customers. And it was not as I had imagined it would be. Things went wrong. And I had a team of awesome nurses. But one of the nurses, I just got super bad vibes from. I did oh, not wow. like her. I thought she was strange. And I asked her to be removed because I heard that you can ask nicely if, if you don't like a nurse. And she was. And then I had my daughter. And then the next day, the manager of the floor came to me and said, he shook my hand. He said, hi, Blake. You know, I'm Mr. Smith. And I heard that something didn't go as planned and your expectations were not met. So what can we do to make it better? We want your feedback. And I just appreciated that so much that they actually cared because it's very rare that that actually happens. I think we can get over a bad experience uh, if, if it's dealt with well. Can you tell me about one of the worst customer experiences that you've recently had and, uh, and what could have been done better to kind of help resolve that? I have a really good recent one for you. It's so funny. I was speaking at a conference about banking 
And this was just a few days ago in Dallas, Texas. So I'm excited. The talk went well. I get on my first flight. Fine. I'm on my second flight. And I realized I lost my purse. I had to go home. The next day I was slated to speak at another conference. So I was kind of panicked. Like, I don't have my wallet. What am I going to do? And when I called the airlines, I had a terrible experience with the phone tree. And the phone tree is really the last thing you want to engage with when you have something that's really upsetting you, like you've lost your wallet. And I like to say that having a wallet, it's almost like walking around with your organs outside of your body. It's so vulnerable. You've got cash in there, your driver's license. Long story short, I never found my wallet. The airline told me that We do things in batches. We'll tell you in two weeks or 30 days if we found something. It was just a terrible experience. It was um, not human at all. They treated me really like dirt. And it's just shocking to me that in these moments that matter, these huge brands are not there for customers and really make no effort to even pretend that they care. And so they put these technologies like phone trees in between themselves and their customers. So they don't have to deal with customers. And I just don't understand when something, these people are very bright who run these companies. And it's something so common sense that if you make someone feel bad, they're not going to come back and do business with you again. And they're going to tell their friends also don't do business with that brand. Yet they spend millions on advertising. Makes no sense to me. So we have very smart people running very big companies who do very stupid things. So you spoke a little bit there about phone trees and uh, and I know you've got some expertise in contact centers and um, customer support and that kind of stuff, particularly in one of your previous roles at Intel. In your book, you talk a lot about how brands are spending $500 billion annually on marketing, but only $9 billion on customer service. So... How do you see this kind of mismatch of investment and how does that impact, you know, what we're just talking about, the customer's experience? I mean, we're, we're seeing by and large that customer service is generally terrible. And that's because there's a lack of investment in customer service. And it's really a shame because if you look at the modern customer life cycle, what happens after the transaction and the brand's ability to create advocates feeds in to prospects discovery process. How do people find out about your products and services? Well, they're generally looking at reviews on Amazon and other websites, blogs, YouTube. And so that advocacy phase feeds directly into the discovery phase for prospects. So we live in a different time where the customer life cycle is much different than it was 30 years ago. But brands are not awake to that fact, and they don't want to deal with these customers out on the internet who are talking about them. But it's really a missed opportunity. And a big piece of that is how you treat your customer, the relationship you build with them after they swipe their credit card and customer service. In terms of like contact centers, because you've spoken a, a few times about contact centers, and I remember um, there was a uh, part of uh, one of your talks where you where you mentioned how the CMO needs to understand the IVR, <laughs> and if they don't understand IVR, then they probably don't have a good handle of, of overall customer experience. Have you got some stories or examples of where you've seen a brand, you know, make some major changes in their contact center in this sort of modern customer centric way, and what some of the impact of that has been? So one company that it's working very diligently on customer service is Comcast. And they were the most hated brand in America. 
And I know they're working very hard to revamp their brand and revamp their customer service. Is that going to help their experience and their reputation? The jury is still out, but I know they're working really hard to do so. And so hopefully Comcast will be the next Telstra. I know Telstra was the most hated company in Australia. That's right. And I met with one of the executives. He told me about how Telstra actually now allows any employee to report a problem for a customer through the app, the Telstra app. And that has worked out pretty well for them. And now Telstra, I believe their customer satisfaction scores are much higher than they used to be. Yeah, that's right. They've actually got a, a tremendous success direction. They do some quite unique things, actually, where when you call in the contact center at the end, if you know the issue is still unresolved, you get an SMS with a with a link to be able to call back that same agent. Um, so you're not having to go back and you know repeat yourself. Or if you go into a store, they actually give you a business card with that person's mobile phone number. Um, and if you actually think about it, you know these are all the types of things that actually makes them far more inefficient as an organization, but really does delight the customer. When you've um, had conversations with organizations, you know, either in your consulting or in speaking, and they want to go on this transformational journey, maybe with the contact center in mind, what are some of the key tips and advice that you typically find really helpful as, as, as uh, organizations are starting that journey? So it's all about priorities and metrics, because what you focus on grows and whatever you measure will improve. But if you don't measure it, you can't improve it. And so it's important that whatever you're measuring your contact center agents by is the behavior that you want to see. And so many companies still measure average handle time, which is really outdated, or they actually are so strict that they measure and manage the amount of time the agent is literally going to the bathroom. Um, how, how long is that agent off the phone or if social media, you know, not responding on social media. And that type of metric is just really strange and creates, I'm sure, toxic culture. And it's just ironic that the people who work in the contact center are the face and voice of your brand, and they're often treated the worst. Let me give you a quick example. Recently, one of the contact center agents who works for Twitter on his last day of work decided to delete President Donald Trump's Twitter account. And no matter if you like Trump or don't like Trump, I mean, you certainly don't want your employees deleting people's accounts. And so Donald Trump's account was offline for 11 minutes and really made Twitter look bad and out of touch. And so you see that's an example of what happens in an outsourced contact center when people aren't paying attention. And I'm sure that employee who wanted to stick it to the company wasn't happy at work. And so why wasn't he or she happy? They need to look into that. And it probably has to do with metrics and priorities. Yeah, there's that old saying, uh, what gets measured gets managed. And uh, I think, you know, you're making a really compelling point about that. In saying that, like, what metrics should we be looking to measure and then, of course, improve over time with the objective of improving the customer's experience? Across the board, net promoter score seems to be the best metric that I've seen and and the best companies today use net promoter score. And so net promoter score is essentially, would you recommend us to a friend? And it's on a scale and your detractors are subtracted from your promoters. So it ends up to be a pretty accurate representation of the customer experience. And it's like, if you were to just go eat at a restaurant, the restaurant said, 
Hey, did you like your experience? Like, would you tell your mom to come here? Yes or no? It's really simple. I think it's all about finding ways to make your customers' lives easier and better in a very simple, easy to understand way. Like one thing that we like to do in these interviews is a quick fire round. So, I'll ask you a question and you've got maximum 10 seconds to respond. So, it's really whatever comes to mind first off the top of your head. So, are you ready? Ready. Your time starts at the end of the first question. What's your number one resource for learning amazing new things? I love listening to Fresh Air by Terry Gross. I'm obsessed with podcasts. (laughs) What's the best advice you've ever received? Resilience. If you get kicked down, get back up. I like it. Blake, what book has changed your life and why? One of the early business books that I read is called Thick Face, Black Heart. It's about uh, wisdom and a lot of things in business you don't learn in school and you have to sort of learn on the streets in a way. Uh, What brand or brands do you look up to? I'm a big fan of Airbnb. Like we hear that you've got a cute Yorkie named Athena. How did you come up with that name? Oh my gosh, you know, they're, my two dogs are listening right now. And my other Yorkie <laughs> makes Lenny so mad. She's furious that you didn't mention her. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> I just looked at this tiny little rescue. She was all scraggly when I got her from the shelter. And I just said, Athena. be good to sort of um, take a bit of a glance at the future. And I think, you know, in many ways, Amazon is held up as a, a customer experience hero, but sometimes the website may not always be easy to use, or there may be other um, examples. Why do you think it is that Amazon stands out for you and for others in terms of being, you know, great, a great example of um, customer experience? Well, from a digital perspective, Amazon is just unbeatable. Another thing about Amazon is you have a founder CEO who isn't afraid to fail. And so he knows that sometimes in order to pioneer, and this is literally a quote, you have to be misunderstood for long periods of time and you have to invest to grow. And so he invests extensively in the customer, in the customer's experience, in the customer journey. And clearly Jeff Bezos is someone who has walked through every piece of the customer journey. And this is a journey he created that he himself would like. And I think some of the best companies today are just absolutely putting themselves in the shoes of the customer and really thinking about what does this feel like at every moment? And those are the experiences that people talk about. It's like, wow, this really made my life easier and better. And most brands just simply can't do it or don't do it. And they're missing out. So, while we're on the topic of Amazon, Amazon has just launched here in Australia and the retail community is in a bit of a panic because, you know, we've been reading a lot about how Amazon is going to kill retailers on price. Um, You know, they're doing that in America. Are they going to do that here in Australia? And if you were standing in front of a group of Australia's top retailers, what advice would you give them about competing with Amazon? Customers are online. Customers don't want to have to go to a retail store. So you can either compete with Amazon by doing innovative things and leveraging your your smallness, your nimbleness, um, because I think there is still a place for authentic, small experiences. And there's a lot of that in Melbourne. 
It's a very quaint and lovely city. But what Amazon will probably do is destroy a lot of the business in Australia that isn't online or mobile friendly because customers are going to go bananas for Amazon in Australia like they do here in the US. I'm personally excited about Amazon in Australia because my husband was born there. We have family there. Whenever I try and send a gift, I have to send a gift card. I'd much rather buy my husband's aunt or grandmother or niece something on Amazon rather than call or tell a department store to send a gift card to my loved one's house. And I do believe that Amazon will change Australians' lives forever, that retailers do need to be concerned because customers don't always want to go to a store. Probably look at what's going on in the U.S. so they can forecast how they can pivot and shift and alter their strategy because they will need to because Amazon is just going to muscle out anybody who gets in their way. And fortunately or unfortunately, it's just the reality. Yeah, but so like Amazon has killed, well, maybe not killed, but Amazon has like crushed a lot of um, other businesses in the US. And so, you know, if price is their kind of main competitive advantage and maybe like a really um, slick logistics line where they can deliver things, you know, same day or next day delivery, if that's what an Australian retailer is competing with, Uh, Like, what would you advise them to do? Nordstrom has pivoted. Nordstrom is a retailer in the U.S. where now they actually are testing out these transactionless stores where a customer will be greeted by a stylist. They'll be given clothes that are picked out directly for them. There's a tailor that comes on site to fix the clothes so they fit them perfectly. And while that customer is waiting, they're given latte or glass of wine, I believe, and they can get a manicure or pedicure while they wait. So it's more of a luxurious experience rather than simply a transaction. So I think focus on what you're good at. Um, But I do believe that yes, Amazon will muscle out retailers because customers really enjoy getting things same day or in two days. In fact, you will find your behavior changes because it's just so easy. And so you have to think about your customers' lives. They're busy. They care more about themselves than they do your business surviving. So find ways to make their life easier and better and stick to what you're good at. It might make sense to close some of your physical stores and to find a way to create a better website or a better mobile experience. And I would be lying if I said this wasn't something that would be scary for retailers that they truly need to pay attention to. Amazon's been running for quite a while. I mean, it it is American. Are there any brands that you feel that stand out well in that Amazon shadow in the US, whether it be boutique retailers who use the Nordstrom example? Are there any others where you sort of go, do you know what? I will go out of my way or customers will go out of their way to go to this brand instead of shopping on Amazon because of X, you know, and, and what is that X factor? So, I'm not a big fan of Walmart by any means, but you do continue to hear about Walmart because they've been making some really strategic acquisitions. They've purchased a company that allows them to get faster delivery, logistics company. And they've also launched an in-store experience where a customer picks out all the products they want and then they're uh, centralized for the customer. So they just kind of load up their car rather than having to run around with a cart and put things in the cart. And so again, these are big brands that are making acquisitions, partnering with startups, 
figuring out ways to make customers' lives easier and better, and thinking about the customer's life obsessively. So Walmart, I would say, is the one example that really I think Amazon is a little afraid of. We wanted to ask about the future and technology. And as a customer experience futurist, you are probably the perfect person to ask about those things. (laughs) (laughs) So, Blake, is there any specific technological innovation that you think is going to revolutionize customer experience? Is it AI? Is it chatbots? What do you think? I do think chatbots are exciting, but I really warn brands against just jumping at the next shiny object unless they are really contributing value to the customer. Do not throw a chatbot at a customer or machine learning, or AI. AI and decisioning can absolutely help these big companies. For example, Royal Bank of Scotland is an example I really like. Royal Bank of Scotland has 17 million customers, seven brands, eight channels, and they realized that their customer engagement wasn't the best. So they set out to use machine learning and artificial intelligence to better understand what was happening in their customers' lives. And what they found is that Many of their customers were continuing to overdraw their bank accounts. So instead of just charging them fees like most banks do, they decided to use artificial intelligence and data to identify these customers and then bring them into the bank and say, hey, Bob, I noticed you continue to overdraw your account. Let me help you with some financial planning so you can really build a future that you want and let us help you get back on track. And so it's really changed Royal Bank of Scotland from simply a transactional bank to an advisor and almost a trusted friend and confidant to the customer. And these are the brands that will thrive in the future that use these technologies to enhance the relationship and find ways to add value to the customer's life, even though the customer's not even asking for it. I recently had coffee with the founder of Pega Systems, Alan Treffler. And what Alan said to me when I interviewed him is that companies have this technology problem and it's called the run out of runway problem, where they're simply slapping technology on an issue, but they're not thinking about a few years out or that future vision for the company. So I believe that it's really important to come up with a holistic and integrated approach to technology where you're considering the future, your future customer strategy, and how your various technologies will fit together and get someone at the top of the company who's responsible for omni-channel and it can drive that conversation when it comes to technology. Because generally, there is no one responsible for an omni-channel customer experience That's why most companies don't have that seamless technology across many groups. And as a customer, you have a disjointed customer experience. Mm. I know in customer experience and and when we're talking about innovation, there's a lot of buzzwords that get thrown around and, you know, omnichannel is maybe one of those. At a practical level, like what are you looking for within a customer as well to say, yeah, do we invest in a chatbot or not? How do you make that decision at a practical level? I think from a practical level, you need to think about what the customer wants and needs and their biggest pain points and then solve them. So knowing your customer and getting technology that allows you to know your who your customer is, where they are, and even predict what they need. Because omnichannel, it might be a buzzword, but we don't do it and we definitely don't do it well. Because omni means all, and I've never worked with a brand as a customer that knows me no matter where I go. I do have to repeat myself at almost every turn. 
And that's not an ideal experience because that's making me work as a customer. Yeah, totally. We actually had a question from a listener from a nudge and he wanted to know what's the most common mistake businesses are making when they're trying to become more customer experience focused? I think the most common mistake is setting up one person or one little group and thinking that that person is going to be able to actually impact change at the company with little resources or power influence. It really takes someone like the CEO to champion customer experience or a title that's really empowered, given resources, given budget, given authority that can weave these programs throughout the top layer of the company, and then it trickles down. So you're not going to improve customer experience at your company simply by hiring like a director of customer experience or getting a few people in your contact center group to lead it. Now, that's really great. As a customer experience futurist, how do you see the future of customer experience? I believe that the companies that make customers' lives easier and better will ultimately thrive and build something that's lasting, that customers want to come back for again and again. We have another interesting problem, which I'll present to you, which is that we've seen a lot of innovation in the last seven years, but not lately. And part of that is they call, they're called the, I think the fearful five alphabet, which is Google. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Facebook. And essentially, these five brands are the technology ceilings, uh, at least coming out of the States, where you can't grow your business without using the brand or being acquired. You, you will be acquired in some way if you're not muscled out by these top five powerhouses. One example is even Netflix hosts its servers on Amazon Web Services. So you really can't function as a business without tapping into one of these five huge technology companies. And they do squash innovation. They'll either acquire you or, like I said, they'll muscle you out. And so it's interesting that you haven't really seen a lot of big companies grow and be successful. And one of those examples comes from Snapchat, where you saw Snapchat in the beginning was very exciting. But then Facebook just simply uh, had Instagram copy the stories idea and Snapchat stock has gone down and they've really not uh, turned heads like they did in the beginning. So two things, two messages to leave you with. One is find ways to make customers' lives easier and better. And two is you really have to think about who came before you or who's coming behind you because they matter. And from a technology perspective, that's the frightful five. Mm. So, in summary, to wrap up, um, the future of customer experience, it really is around making customer lives easier, taking out those pain points of repeating yourself and looking to the leaders and, and maybe leveraging technology where it really does help make customers' life easier. Is that the right way to pull it together? That's a beautiful wrap up. Thank you. So, Blake, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Well, that was a great conversation with Blake. In terms of practical takeaways, um, let's riff on a few things that stood out for us uh, during that conversation. Yeah, totally. So, I have one really big takeaway that uh, that I just wanted to talk about. Um, and um, I think it may have actually... And the reason I wanted to just focus on one is because I think it maybe got lost in the conversation a little bit there, but I think it's one of the most important. Um, it's this idea of focusing on the right metrics. So, we, we, you know, there's that quote, what gets measured gets managed. Um, 
And Blake used some examples about, you know, contact centers and and how using the wrong metrics like, you know, average call handling time and, um, you know, number of calls handled and, you know, time off the phone, all those things uh, creating the wrong culture and the wrong attitude. Um, And instead, you know, think about what metrics actually matter to the customer. So, you know, a call may need to take uh, a long time to resolve an issue. And so, you know, you if you please the customer, um, and you have a good customer experience and a good outcome, then that customer is less likely to churn and to, to, and to leave you um, and to go to a competitor. And that's probably a better metric to focus on rather than, you know, how many calls can I get through really quickly? Um, so, just focusing on the metrics that matter to the customer, not the metrics that matter to the organization. That's really good. Um, there were two that stood out for me. Um, one was, you know, something that came across um, throughout the conversation was, which was this, this theme of, is this going to make it easier for the customer? Or that was frustrating because you made me jump through these hoops and it wasn't easy. Um, and so I actually love this obsession with easy. And I actually think if you're sort of early on your customer experience journey and you're trying to figure out, um, you know, where can we iron out some wrinkles or what are the, the big the big things to, um, you know, look at is actually just thinking about process or is this way that we're doing this, making it easier for the customer. And any opportunity where you can make life a bit easier, whether it's a form pre-filled in, whether it's you already beginning to take part of um, some of the steps because you're anticipating um, what that customer may need, that's making their life easier and that's really, really going to stand out. So, that I think is um, you know, a great way to think about a foundation of an excellent customer experience. The second one for me was um, sort of bundled into that because it is making life easier, but it's sort of really taking away, I think, one of the core frustrations that we all feel and what stand out as uh, bad customer experiences is having to repeat yourself. Um, there's nothing worse because, you, we, you know, we almost humanize um, brands and brand experiences and there's nothing more frustrating. You don't feel listened to, you don't feel valued if you're having to uh, repeat yourself. This is actually really quite interesting when you think about investing in the right technology or the right tools. If that tool, technology or process is preventing a customer for having to repeat themselves, then that's probably a really good thing. <laughs> so, can I call up a tech support and they already have the history of, you know, a billing issue that I had that is somehow, you know, related to it. So, uh, in summary, we have uh, three big takeaways. My one was um, making sure that the business focuses on the right metrics for the customer. My two were really having this ruthless obsession about is it making it easier for the customer? So, easy, easy, easy. And the second one is anything that you can do to avoid customers from having to repeat themselves um, is an amazing step towards great customer experiences. So, thank you so much for listening. If you want to reach out and, uh, and, and get in touch, please send us an email. You can contact me, adam at wavelength.audio. And I'm Michael at rateitapp.com. And also, we've had a few iTunes reviews recently. Um, thank you so much for writing those in. Uh, we read every single one. Thanks, Mike. See ya. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is a co-production of Rated, the market leader in on-the-spot customer feedback, and Wavelength, podcasting strategy and execution. This episode was produced by Nick Jones and me, Adam Jaffrey, and it was edited and mixed by Josh Armour from Armour Pod Productions. Our theme music is by Icolix and Peter Cooley. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It makes a really big difference. 
I'm Adam Jaffrey. Thank you so much for listening. We produce this show every fortnight, so we'll speak to you in two weeks' time.